Well, welcome to Overcome Out Loud with Charlie Smith. I am really excited today to be here uh, and doing this with my great friend, mentor, uh, and actually my own personal therapist for over 12 years, Dr. Paul Hirsch. Paul, welcome to Overcome Out Loud. Thank you so much, Charlie. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's great. So, you know, the three things that we do here uh, at Overcome Out Loud uh, is share real real people that are uh, that have overcome real obstacles and providing real solutions. And as part of that, we've got a kind of a three-part menu of content. It's, it's my own personal stories overcoming the challenges in my own life. Um, whether it be childhood trauma, you know, the violent abuse that I went through, overcoming addiction, uh, sibling suicide, you know, the, the things that I've kind of had to walk out of myself. Other people sharing their own stories around overcoming obstacles in their lives and giving people uh, a recipe and a, and a formula and some of the things that they can do to take real action in their life to overcome whatever struggles that they're having. And then lastly, I think it's really important to also bring in subject matter experts, you know, people that are experts in, in the field of therapy or human performance or sports psychology or mindfulness, you know, that can attack some of the uh, modalities that I've used and, and that others have used uh, and, and have helped people to overcome challenges in their lives. And today is, I think, really a unique uh, interview for us because Paul represents, A, a, a subject matter expert in the field of therapy. He's been practicing for how long now? See, officially licensed since I'm 27. <clears throat> I'm 54, so. Do the math. Yeah. A long time. Almost 30 years. And and seen how many how many clients, how many, how many people have sat across from you to get help in the course of that practice, my man? The last <clears throat> last calculation I had was about 55,000 hours. So that's that's a lot of hours helping people, and and you know one of the things that I've learned in my experience, whether it be in business or in recovery or in therapy, is when you find somebody that's seen, you know, just had a lot of experience with a lot of different situations. You know, those kinds of hours um, they they add up to a lot of experience and and a lot of situations and a lot of ability um, to see the best way to help people. And so well well. Paul represents a subject matter expert. He, he's also been the architect of you know, my own journey. So providing some insight into the things that, that we did, you know, some of the resistance that I had at certain points of, of overcoming and, and healing some of the things that I went through. You know, Paul's had kind of a front row and really been, as I said, the architect of that plan. And so he can talk specifically as, we, as he shares his own experience of helping people with obstacles. Um, we could talk about the things that I went through specifically with Paul. Uh, I like to, I like to say it's, it's the truth and, and a little, a little bit of a joke that I, I started seeing Paul about six months before I got sober. So I lied to him for about six months before I decided to get honest. And, and, you know, that was, that was what happened in, in 2008. Um, when I hit my bottom. So it's, it's really great to have you here. You know, it's actually a, pr a privilege to sit across from you um, in this format and be able to hear about your experience of, of helping people. And maybe just as a, a little bit of a segue, you know, I know you have your own journey and, and, you know, can you just maybe share with our listeners kind of, you know, what led you to become a therapist, you know, and to choose this path for yourself, you know, and, and kind of what you see as the primary role that you play as a therapist. I know there's lots of different experiences I've had in meeting therapists along the way, and you've kind of developed your own kind of mode and your own kind of uh, practice in terms of the way you deal with people. But take us back a little bit and, and maybe share with us your path to be to getting into the, the field of therapy and, and actually deciding to help people 
you know, overcoming challenges in their lives as a kind of a full-time career for you. Happy to do it. <clears throat> so, so you know this about me that I think about our lives as stories, almost like in a book. That's so, right. So you're born as a character and you're about to be introduced to these two people that both had their own books and came together and now are writing this new book and you're now the child. <clears throat> and maybe you have some other characters around you, like siblings. And I don't know why we land in the families we do. Obviously, there's lots of theories about that, and um, I've just accepted it, that I don't get to know that. So let's just say that that it's arbitrarily laid out. We could say past lives, but you know who knows, right? So we're, we, we land in this place. And one of the misconceptions about learning about our childhood is that our parents are to blame and they're bad people. They're, they're, they're bad. And really, most parents are trying to do about the best they can with the information that they have, and they're really just more psychologically unevolved. And it actually does seem that we are getting better at understanding what's better for people and what's better for kids. Seems like that's getting better. Okay, so, so I've had the benefit of good people with the right attitude having me look back. So I wanted to say that because it... it the way I look back might be different than other people because I love my parents and I also see all of the faults and all of the trauma and all the pain that, that their lack of evolution caused. You know, it's, it's actually interesting because as you know, as, as, I've, as I've shared with my listeners um, and, and really the, the, the people that I speak to about, you know, very vulnerably about the, the, the 15 plus years of violent abuse that I experienced. And, and I know from my own experience of healing that holding on to that concept that either my parents are to blame or that they're bad people actually served as a bit of a, of a, of a failing for me in my, in my recovery and my healing, because it, 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 it forced me to look at them versus my own behaviors because while they did what they did and raised me the way that they raised me and were responsible for their own behaviors that at some point in my healing you know when i started to to look at them as 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 you said you know these two characters in in my story that acted certain ways but that i was also in that story and that you know depending on how i depicted them could actually hinder or help my healing and and being a victim quote unquote i guess is the term some people would use and blaming them as being bad or the reason I am who I am, you know, served as a little bit of a, of a barrier to me actually ultimately healing. That's right. Yeah, how we see the world, our perspective, has everything to do with what we value and what we'll see as important, the, the context that we give to things. So, so, and I would say wisdom, oops, excuse me, wisdom helps us to value the right things. Because wisdom is usually aligned with ethics. Say that again. Well, another way to say the more wisdom you have, yeah. right, the clearer your context. Yeah. Right? Yeah, for sure. But it seems that wisdom is very much tied to ethics. That and I'm uh, uh, some uh, clearly uh, there's a, there's a Jordan Peterson influence on some of this uh, because just learning about him in the last three years has deepened the work because it's like everything I thought just got validated. Yeah. It was like, wow, that's really crazy. Someone's thinking like that. So, but the idea is so what, you know, we're all imperfect. We all have error and we're never going to, we're all aspiring to our ideals and we will never reach it. Not in this lifetime. 
right? Right on. So, but when you so when you have people that lie, right, that aren't ethical and are making decisions from there, well, do that for a month, just one month of doing making those decisions. And then when you make other decisions and you look down at the map <laughs> to make the decision, you don't have a very clear map. So people that are more unethical are are have less vision, and they're so they're less wise. Usually, the, as we grow in wisdom, we grow in ethics, but we also grow in context. Like like you're mentioning, I can see my parents more accurately. You know, not seeing them from this perspective or the child perspective. I can see what they were. They did some really wrong things. They didn't do some really important things, and that was really bad. And they have some responsibility in that, just like we do, right? At the same time, we understand it's it's this balance. Oops, it's this balance. So, so my childhood that led me to this, and I would honestly, I'm saying I don't know that it led me this because I think I got lucky a little bit that this happened. Interesting. And, and yeah, well, I was talking to a <laughs> a friend of mine that's this brilliant like financial manager, <clears throat> and I was telling him about this new book that I read. This amazing CEO wrote, and he and this guy's. He knew the guy. Okay? It's a guy of like a Fortune 20 company. And he knew the guy. And he said, you know, I, I should probably tell you something about all those CEO books. He goes, they're not actually accurate. 95% of them. So why? Because most of what they're doing is they're backward engineering what they did. But most of the things that work have to have luck. You have to get lucky. And you have to be at the right time. So... Some things I almost did bad and I didn't. I can't say that's in my character. I think I just got lucky that day I didn't do it. And I think that some of those decisions, like one of them I'll tell you about, October 3rd, 1984, somehow that happened and I made that decision and followed it up the next day. But I don't know that if that happened again, it would go that way. So by the grace of God, right? right. Whatever that is, <laughs> which, 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 you, you know, which, which we could talk about too. So, I grew up in a home where my father was bipolar one for years and years and years. He was a genius that could invent things and make a ton of money and then he'd be in bed for two months. I was an accident, two older brothers, 10 and 13 years older. And the story that I was told was that when I was born, the SHIT was about to hit the fan because my mom had already decided to divorce my dad. All of the aunts and uncles had, <laughs> had divorced. And apparently right before I was born, we used to have really nice parties at the house with lots of families. <laughs> and then right before I was born, it, there was a bomb that went off. My dad got 69 ECT treatments for major, because of the downside of bipolar illness. So he ETC would, for our guys? Yeah, he got, he, um, he got electroconvulsive shock therapy. Got it. Back when it was way more barbaric. So it helped, it actually helps. People don't realize it. If you have major depression that's otherwise unresponsive to treatment, 70% of the time you can, get, you can achieve success with um, ECT treatment. The problem is, is that you have massive side effects and memory issues and all that. So growing up as a kid, it was always common that my dad, would, you go with him and he would always forget where he parked. Okay. But he was a gentle guy that you knew was broken, that I was aware was in deep pain. Instinctually, I knew he was in deep pain. But I came from a family that no one talked about it. 
So like the three traits, traits of an alcoholic home, right? Don't talk, don't trust, don't feel. Those are the three things kids learn in, in alcoholic homes. Well, they also learn them in dysfunctional homes. Right. And my mom, bless her, she really meant well, but came from a, you know, kind of a, a, a post-post-war and tragedy with her own father that died young that was like, don't look at the bad. Don't, don't, don't look at it. Don't talk about it. Just life's tough. Move on. You know, so I would ask questions about my dad and she would say, what do you mean? No, it's, you know, we're just having a, like the classic thing is they'd be fighting and I'd go in and I'd say, why are you guys arguing? I'd say, no, we're not arguing. We're just, we're discussing. Like, Weird. So one of the ways of talking about this is I grew up in a bit of chaos. Yeah. Where within two years, my dad, my dad uh, moved out and he, I would see him on Sundays and he was responsible that way um, and good that way. But my mom was then ready to date. So I was alone a lot. I was bored a lot. Wow. Yeah. Can you, can you, can you tell me though, real quick, because I, I, I want to go back to those traits of the alcoholic or dysfunctional home, share those again. And I want, and I want to get into those for just a second, sure. because I know so many people that follow me and listen to me have, have been drawn to my kind of vulnerability around tr growing up with a trauma impacted brain and when you grow up in a family that that shermigan you you don't talk don't talk you, you don't talk about what's going on you don't you don't trust you don't trust so you don't trust meaning what's around you feels false and there's no ability to feel grounded right or safe in that environment so you don't trust what's going to happen or even what's happening as reality well the idea is that 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 it's about uh, tr that when you trust it's about feeling safe and about knowing you have predictable results right so a sense of predictability right. so when you don't have safety and you don't have predictability you can't trust how things are going to go so what that teaches the brain is develop extra sensors right so instead of being focused on my day and how it's going and the love of my dog and my mom and my friends Trauma victims will automatically and autonomically start to develop literally neuropathways for more sensitivity of what's going on outside of them. And they generally go more in their head. So more trauma, you get a guy more in his head. Because what's happening is that there's a part of them that are watching for what's going to happen so they don't get hurt. That's right. Right? That's right. So, and then the last one is don't, don't feel because it, it, it's not, it's like when I have an eight-year-old trauma victim, that's not really in a safe place yet, I am not going to get him to start feeling yet because he's not in an environment that it's safe to do that. So it's, it's tricky when you have that. But the idea is don't talk. Don't talk about what's going on. Don't, you can't, you're not allowed to trust that you're safe and that it's going to be okay. And, and you, you definitely don't share about how you feel. It's just no one does that. Yeah, and, and, and you know, my experience with that, and, and, and we've talked a little bit about as we've unpacked kind of my elementary school records and what was happening to me that, you know, and I, I don't think people understand when you're when you can't talk and you can't feel and you can't trust at home. It's not like you go to school and all of a sudden say, oh, this is a different place. I guess I can trust, feel and talk those limitations follow you and your brain kind of reacts like you can't trust, feel or talk anywhere and so as i got into school and i think other sufferers of childhood trauma with trauma impacted brains and that neuroplasticity that's firing or and their neurotransmitters firing a certain way end up engaging in kind of self-soothing behaviors they end up in avoidance they end up you know 
acting out for attention they end up you know kind of like i was diagnosed as as adhd you know because i couldn't focus and it wasn't that i was learning disabled or that i was actually adhd but those three things led me to disassociate and what i mean by that is not be able to know who i truly was or feel safe in an environment that i couldn't you know actually cope in and i created a bunch of you know unhealthy skills in order to kind of deal with all of that right. and, and so it's uh, I, I wanted to emphasize those those three traits of alcoholic and dysfunctional homes and, and what trauma sufferers like myself or others feel and that it, it, it doesn't just leave you when you leave the four walls of your house that it's actually I guess the, the term I use is imprinted you know kind of in your software in your brain uh, a feeling of not being safe not being able to talk and not being able to attach to your feelings and so we've any kind of feeling that's right so we all have a trait personality But then when you go through something like that, your system has to develop some defense against it, right? That's right. So I'll just give you the short version. The short version is I'm alone a lot. I'm bored a lot. Lonely a lot. Didn't know it because it's homeostatic and you don't know that that's what you're experiencing. And I wrote a paper in in sixth grade that said my close-knit family. (laughs) It's like, hmm. It's interesting. It's like, I see my dad once a week. I haven't seen my oldest brother in not about a year. And my other brother's growing weed outside in the backyard. I think he just got busted. I don't know. We'll see. Okay. So, so, So my personality structure ended up being what I would call a more of a narcissistic profile. So I was... I was very vulnerable to insecurity. I was highly self-conscious. And the way that I managed that, that, that was more ego and pleasure. So I was sneaky. Um, I was a little reckless. And yet I was playing the good boy. And so, I mean, I was dishonest by 11. I mean, I remember I was stealing by 11, pretty sure. Yeah, and and it's and if you're you know while you're listening to this, I I recommend a, a notebook and, and a pencil because you know these are some I guess I'll call them nuggets. You know we're we're dropping some really great facts that I think will will really help people understand a little better because as Paul as you talk about these things subconsciously we don't know right because I, I started you know I was tell as part of my story one of the things one of the patterns I started was that of being dishonest and I learned the trait of being dishonest because being me wasn't okay and so I started to make up versions of myself and I started to lie at a very young age about the same kinds of things you know I wanted kids to accept me so I would say I did my homework with my parents like you did and oh we went on a vacation like you did and you know because I knew they weren't covering up bruises and I knew that they weren't holding back tears and if I wanted to fit in with them that I sure wanted to make sure that they thought I was like them and that kind of trait of dishonesty you know kind of fueled a lot of my ability to feel like I could fit in but I didn't realize it was dishonesty at the time you know I I thought I was just you know trying to fit in and so that self-reflection you talk about of you know writing a paper about my close-knit family, yet the, the reality of it is totally different. At the time, you, you weren't able to differentiate the true from false until much later on. That's right. That's yeah. right. You don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And, and because I believe that we're literally made up of parts or other personalities, and that's part of what like we do in recovery is that you, you, we help people become congruent. You know, it's like you, you really can't be a priest on Sunday and a bank robber on Monday. You really can't. I mean... Try that with Mother Nature. See what she does, right? So I did. Okay. She fucks you up. Yeah, she... Oh, you can say that? Okay, yes. We can do that. All right. So this is not going on YouTube without the bleeps. All right. <laughs> so, so, so let's see. 
what happened is, what happens to us is that in order to survive what we're doing, something back there makes a decision, you know, something back there. But part of us, the, the, intelligence, of the, the intelligence of the primal unconscious, the thing that let us survive, right? It's not a moral place. It's a survival brainstem place, right? Yeah. So it doesn't make moral decisions. It makes decisions based on how to, make us, how to get us to 18. So generally the idea of that thing is to stay safe and alone and it thinks it's going to be okay. But then we're built to be safe and alone and you cannot have a full life safe and alone. For me, what happened is I just had a secret. I had this secret. I was getting pleasure different ways, you know, whatever. And, but every time I look in the mirror, I'd feel bad. I, so I'm blessed somehow I had that in me. So one part of me was acting out, and another part of me did not feel good about it. And that's the part that ended up pulling me into recovery. Oh, it's amazing. And, you know, it's funny because we've talked about it before, and I've heard you talk about um, kind of that feeling when, when people hit their own emotional bottom of looking in the mirror and kind of taking a, a self-appraisal of the life that I have versus the life that I thought I would have at this point. I mean... How powerful is the mirror as a as a feedback loop for us? I mean, to really to really look at that that reflection and, and really honestly take a hard look and say, you know, this isn't how I want it to be. This isn't what I how I wanted to feel. This isn't the life, you know. And I don't talk. I'm not talking about the external life. I'm not talking about the materialistic life. I'm talking about the way I feel about that life. You know, the the, the appreciation, the gratitude, and the fulfillment. You know, the the way I feel about me in this life isn't what I thought I would feel based on what I've achieved and it's kind of empty no what's kind of empty that feeling of looking in the mirror and realizing that you know well I have this material success or I have these things or I've achieved certain things I mean I have this I have that why don't I feel <clears throat> why do I feel so empty and alone yeah. you know and why don't I really want to look at that part of the mirror that's associated with those behaviors and I, I feel empty I feel alone I feel isolated and I don't feel like I thought I would feel yeah having done what I've just done. Right. Absolutely. The, the, the mirror's a great judge. Yeah, well said. The issue is, is the psychology of the person will only see what they see. And that's, that's an interesting thing because therapy or a good counselor or a good sponsor is a mirror. They hold that up. To, a good marriage is exactly like that. It holds it up to you for you to contend with. And you know, that's kind of what we're doing in group. And that's what we're doing in, um, you know, when you do an intervention, right? Because you hold the mirror long enough, if we hold the mirror long enough, right? Because everybody wants to turn away. Yeah. But if they have the support to look long enough, well, then they have something to contend with. Well, then, then, then they can make a better decision, perhaps. Then they can see the benefit. Uh, so, and... So for me early on, uh, I just kept contending with don't look in the mirror, but then I kept being drawn by it. Why? Well, I think something in me wanted better. Yeah, it's that, it's that saying that I, I share often is, you know, and, and how, how real is this in the, you know, 50,000 plus, 50, plus hours have you seen come to fruition, which is whatever you don't deal with, 
is going to deal with you. You know, at some point in your life, you know, all of those coping skills will work. Uh, and, I, and I shared this recently about uh, the experience of Tiger Woods as, as an example of them working until they don't work anymore. You know, I mean, he was living a double life mm-hmm. and, and experiencing great success, you know, from an outside world perspective and living incongruently as, as was exposed on national television with the infidelity and the drug use and whatever else he was doing that didn't measure up to who he you know, was showing the outside world and it worked until it didn't. And then his fall from grace led him where it led him. And, and now he's back to, to, to what appears to be living a much more congruent life. But that congruency, you know, what you don't deal with, it's going to deal with you, you know, whether, whether, you know, you get the help or not, ultimately that, 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 that avoidance, that not looking at the mirror is, is going to impact all of us. Well, I couldn't agree more. And I would say, if you just look at like the, the narcissistic mindset, that, that, that profile, and for people that don't know that it's got a very, it's very misunderstood, uh, the narcissistic defense is an evolutionary, it's an evolutionarily devol- uh, evolved psychic defense that, that everybody has to some degree. It's the thing that lets you deal with any rejection. And if everybody didn't have a little bit of it, we'd all just stop eating and die, Okay. But it's, but it's one of the best ones to have because usually if you're narcissistic, you're a little bit ego-driven. You're trying to get away from the shame and whatever, and you're usually driven to do some things. So narcissistic people generally either just, you know, if they have money as a teenager like we see with kids, they'll just, they'll just ruin their lives by 18, 19, right? Yeah. But if they don't have that kind of access, it'll take a different form. And, and so for me, what would happen when I was highly sensitive to criticism, exaggerated all the time, was, was, didn't see it, right? But I was keeping this image up, right, of whatever it was, and that was sort of the antidote, and then, and then would comfort myself with whatever, you know, break a mailbox, whatever, you know, whatever sure. it would be, right? And, and so what happens to people is that plays out. And so I'm ego-driven, so I was trying to make money at 16 and doing all this other stuff, but I was carrying this weight. And like you said, it catches up with you. And it's an interesting thing to think about what that really means because there are people that seem like they're getting away with bad morals. There are people that seem like they can, they're doing some bad things and it's like working, right? But it, in my practice, I've never seen one person get away with one thing interesting never it they don't know it but they do not have the lives they could have that's right yeah and i think that's you know interesting to talk about and important to talk about because i think we need to talk about what getting away with it means you know because we don't have to necessarily be convicted of a crime or or locked up in handcuffs or you know brought to justice by a judge to not be getting away with it. i mean you know you're not getting away with it if, if, as you just said, you're not having the life that you could have. The feeling inside, that shame and guilt energy that's, that's operating and that incongruency is preventing <clears throat> you from actually having restful nights, from you know, really experiencing joy in the moment. I mean, it really does, at least for me, I should say, and maybe you could, could, could talk more about it, but you know, not getting away with it or getting away with it, it kind of robs you of the present moment, enjoying the present moment. You're always looking to kind of that next thing or avoiding, or as you said, you know, that pleasure seeking. There's no ability to sit in the moment and, and reflect on what's actually happening and really at a, at a core level be fulfilled. 
Exactly. And I, I would say that just what's what's always amazing to me is just how many different ways people can look in the world, can look at the world. And it's and just remember, it's all homeostatic. So there, there was a guy that was happy, that was literally talking to the same guy I'm talking about, this investor guy. And he was saying, God, I hope that all the poor people, I everybody, hope everybody stays poor. I hope no stimulus goes through it. And my friend was like, what are you talking about? So, well, you know, we, I need, this way I can make more money. And, okay, so take that guy, you know, doesn't know what he doesn't know. He thinks he's getting away with it. Yeah. Just like the fox. Just like you know? the fox. <laughs> you know? And, you know, he is on that level. He's making a ton of money, right? He's buying big properties, He's got lots of dopamine hits from people that want his money <laughs> and want to be on his yacht. But what else is there? It's like, really, you have somebody that really cares about you, the kind of person you'd want to care about you, somebody a real, of real worth to care about you. That would be amazing miracle. It, it doesn't happen. I've never seen a guy like that with an amazing woman or an amazing or a woman that was acting like that with an amazing man. And it's like, they don't know. So, I mean, it just speaks to ignorance. You can have, you know, there is a bliss to ignorance, but, uh, well, there's a benefit to ignorance and it's, there's a benefit to denial, but there's also a major hit and you can never have the rewards unless you remove it. It's like, well, the dragon has the gold. And, and, and so as, as your, your journey started in therapy, you know, one of the things I think over the last, I guess it's been now close to 13 years, you know, for God's sakes, that we've been together, you know, at some level, almost, almost you know, weekly or monthly. Back uh, when you were a client, <laughs> yeah, yes. Back when I was a client. Um, and, uh, and it's interesting, you know, I, I, they, always, they always talk about having, having mentors and, and, you know, the growth of our, our relationship, I think, speaks to that. And, you know, one of the things that I've always respected as, you know, I've either been in your presence or others that I know or have referred to come and get help from you is this um, therapeutic approach that you take, which somehow has evolved. And I want to and I want to know, you know, more about how that evolved, because I think one of the things that people come to people like you for is answers. You know, I mean, I want the this is wrong fix it you know and and you've developed this approach in in your therapy practice which i would describe as you know supportive empathetic and direct you know i mean there's really no kind of gray areas when when people come to you for help they're they're looking you know to have you fix something and how hard is it when when you hold the mirror up to people i mean how much how much how much goes into actually having people understand the journey of getting help and changing who they are, having been wired a certain way for so long as I was. I mean, these these systems are operating, as you said, subconsciously. You know, ninety percent of our experience happens at that subconscious level, and we've been programmed, you know, by this this semi computer in our head that tells us certain stories about what happened to us and who we are. And and to change that, it's a it's a it's, a, it's quite a journey, you know. And and I think. You know, you've developed this this approach, and how difficult is it to to get people to look long at that mirror? Well, it's still hard for myself to look really long every day, so it's probably really it's probably really difficult. Uh, let, let me be more direct. Therapy, being a therapist, really is an art form. There is great science to it, but 
but I'm about 40% of the therapist that I'd like to be. Okay. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? That means that whoever's in front of me, it's so complex, all the things that are going on for that person and how to help them. Let's just frame it as like to look at something in, as a, in a contrary way. They see it one way and you want to hold up this idea that you might want to, you know, what about this? Have you thought about this? Or you, you so, so figuring out the way that you're going to walk them to where they might be able to see it, it's a little different with everybody. So like when I used to do adolescence, when I used to work in adolescent hospital, I had this great uh, mentor named Jackie Henderson. And she said, you don't, you don't do that with, you don't tell an adolescent what to do and you don't act direct with them. You just get rapport and then you start taking one little step each time, right? So the idea would be that, that you, they don't know, but you end up walking them past their defenses. Adults are a little trickier. Okay, um, meaning uh, there's so much more defenses in your face. Okay, so and 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 they're all they're I'd say differently. They're more ingrained in what they believe. You know, so you have confirmation bias more yes. as an adult, right? And it's just tricky to where are you going to get in that confirmation bias, right? So very challenging. But I would say that the this is. Um, Somebody told me a long time ago, I'm only going to take people as far as I've come. So, so I'm still trying to do that. So I think, I think that it's challenging. But one of the things I'm looking at when I'm seeing the other person and I'm seeing where the resistance is, I'm, I'm looking for the part that I can relate to where they're scared or where they're, they're locked up in a trauma. I'm waiting and I'm asking them questions till I can see that spot. And the truth is, like, the more practice you have, the more experience you have, the better you get at running that orchestra. And like I said, I'm, you know, I'd like, I tried for a long time to get really good at it, but it's just a lot, you, you know, nowhere near mastery, you know? You know, I watch you in the way you work with people. More Normal people can't do that. They can't have these things just come to them automatically. What people don't know is that's built, you built that one step at a time, you know, with well, how did you do it? You started by not doing what you knew not to do. And then you could start doing things that were good. But you dedicated to not doing the bad things. And that's, and so that's probably the first place that I would try to go is looking for what a person's doing that's creating the problem that they don't want to see. And it's usually always there. It's almost always there. Isn't that amazing? And, and you know, that's one of the things that, that and, and there's your first, um, you know, kind of active participation um, discipline that you can get behind. And, and it's, you know, I love making things simple, you know, on this podcast. And, and you know, part of my training that I've been doing recently is all around the human performance and the mental conditioning space. And I've been relying on, on a lot of the, the sports psychologists, you know, who, who, who work in that space. And it's interesting you bring that up because uh, Trevor Moad is one of my mentors and works with Russell Wilson, talks a lot about that and his concept of neutral thinking, which is if we can, st- you don't have to be positive, but if you can stop being negative, <laughs> if you can avoid certain behaviors that aren't consistent with what you really want in your life, that it actually frees your mind up for what you do want to happen. And, you know, that congruency, you know, that I say is if is is what you want consistent with what you do, but but also 
what can you stop doing today? You know, you can, you know, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't need a nutritionist to hold up, you know, if I hold up an apple and a, and a, a box of donuts, I don't need a world famous nutritionist to tell me which one is healthier for me. Right. I, I need some internal, you know, barometer, you know, something that I can rely on, a set of values that says, oh, I don't eat donuts. You know, I, I, I've made a decision to be healthy and all, I, I just eat apples, you know, so I don't eat those. I don't do certain things. And that's, that's sage, uh, in my opinion, sage and simple wisdom for people to take out of this if you're, you know, facing an obstacle or a challenge in your life that simply you can, you can start to avoid the things that are, you know, not contributing to the life you want. You can start to, you can start tomorrow making those changes. And, you know, what's, what's another, you know, as we kind of get towards the the end of our time, you know, what's, you know, I guess a, a couple finishing things is, you know, what's an, another kind of entry level point for people that are really struggling, you know, especially, you know, today as we, as we air this during the, the pandemic and, and things, what's another grounding principle or grounding uh, suggestion that you make to people that are that are struggling. I, I know um, one of the things that you've given me as, as a grounding principle is the importance of a routine. Can you maybe just kind of share some of the simple kind of building blocks of a healthy routine that people could maybe take out of this that that you advise people who are kind of struggling at a point in their life that they don't like that they that the importance of a routine and maybe what you suggest people do in terms of building that as a as a grounding rod for them. You bet. Thanks. Um, so the brain doesn't do well with uncertainty and we're in a pandemic and you don't know, you don't, you don't get to know when it's going to end. Right on. Right. And so everybody's in trauma because the brain doesn't do well at this. Okay. So it has to come up with some different mechanisms. Right. And so you see a lot of people acting it out. You see people drinking more. You see people spending more. You see people divorcing more. You see people affairing more. They're not knowing what to do. And the answer to life's difficulties is to get responsible. There's no other way around it. You're either a victim to it or you're still in a way a victim to nature, but you're responsible and you're contending with it. So, so it's hard to get a routine. It's hard to do it. If we're used to what we're used to. But I would assure anybody that if they did it for two weeks, 14 days it takes to, and, and you end up knowing, oh my God, I'm, I've just become different, right? So a basic routine is that you have a line in the sand of when, it's, when you wake up. So a lot of people are, you know, I wake up around 12 or 1 because I can do work from home. Nope, not a good idea. Generally, you want to go to, you want to wake up. Um, if you really have a great lifestyle, you guys, you can time it. But usually waking up in the morning is a good idea. So you want to wake up at a, at a specific time relatively early. Right? Yes, sir. And all of the hard things of the day should happen in the first six hours. Okay? It's not that we want to look at it like, well, I have time. It's like, I want to contend with time. I'm trying to create order, right? I'm trying to create responsibility. I'm trying to create meaning. Well, the only way to do that isn't by hitting a home run, it's one little step. So it's wake up at a certain time, definitely some form of exercise and/or meditation, right? If you don't have a job, learn something, right? Really, organize your house. Make it perfect or near perfect. Put your responsibility into your life in any way that you can. Then you can flip a switch. And then the only other thing is, is it's very important to take a walk a day, 
right? It's weird things happen when our brain only sees a certain thing. I mean, ask anybody in jail. It just it doesn't go well. So, so get out one, just once a day, right? And then make sure even if you don't want to, you're responsible to talking to somebody else. Yeah, and, that's, yeah. That's, that's, that's a formula. That's a, that's a recipe. And I hope you'll, you'll, you know, if you're listening and, and struggling, those are simple things that you can do. It really can be grounding. Um, those are all things that I've learned to do. Uh, I've learned that, that, that the pain of discipline is much heavier than, um, the pain of regret, you know? So, um, I'm sorry, we're going to cut that because I'm going to say that the pain of discipline weighs a lot less than the pain of regret. And it's that regret cycle that I was into, which is the avoidance that causes a lot of shame and guilt. But the, but the pain of that simple discipline of building that routine builds self-esteem. Does it not? It does. Yeah. And that's, and that's, you know, ultimately we want to feel good about what we do by, by, by looking at what it is that we do and, and then, and then look, reflecting back on it to build on it. Cause I think if you build discipline in any portion of your life, you can actually build discipline into all portions of your life. And so, Paul, where can people find out more about you? How do people get in touch with you? Um, you know, do you have, uh, uh, can you share your, your website and, and how people get in touch with you if they're if they're interested? And and I will tell you that Paul and I have started uh, an executive and professionals transformation class for men. We're taking the architecture that I've developed um, and the therapeutic approach of Paul and, and trying to help men. So you can learn more about that at uh, at our at my website, uh, which is archwayhouse.com. You can go to the executive transformation page. Um, but Paul, how can people get in touch with you? Thanks so much for asking. So I have a website called uh, drpaulhirsch.com, D-R-P-A-U-L-H-E-R-S-H.com. But I should let people know that it's, um, I'm, I'm pretty full. It's about a month out. So um, this isn't, this is really, um, so just know that there could be a delay in getting back to you, but certainly please reach out. And then in the coming, coming year, hopefully I'll be doing some more things where they'll, people have access. That's great. Well, you know, thank you for, for, for being in my life and for taking, you know, time out of your, out of your pack schedule to share some of these really, really important, uh, gems of wisdom, you know, with people that are, are looking to improve their lives. We've, we've got a, <clears throat> we've got a lot of hope, you know, in our, in our platform and in our lives. And it's great to share it so that people can start to see some ways to dig themselves out of whatever they're in, man. Can I end us with a Charlie story? You most certainly can, my man. <laughs> so I really believe that every, we get these, 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 moments in life where you choose the right or you choose the wrong. And the idea is most of us, even me, oftentimes don't know what the right is, but like you spoke to, just don't do the wrong. And when we do the right things, the right things tend to happen more. And it's the only way that I've found to actually have self-esteem that's sustaining. Okay. And I just think it's important that you know that I watched you, I don't know, a thousand times contend with these little tiny decisions i mean really contend and you it, it's a struggle and then i saw you work it out and, and make a decision and then that decision led to another decision and then, then then you had momentum and then you walked into my office and you go shit <laughs> i go what you said i just told a lie really what'd you do i was at my fitness place and Big burly guy, I was drinking a tomato juice, big burly guy says, hey, uh, low sodium, right? And I said, sure, or yes, or something. And Paul, it's not low sodium. <laughs> <laughs> That's so right. I, and I remember I just looked at you and you just looked at you, you go, yeah, I know what I got to go do. That's right. It's not low sodium. And, 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 when we, and when we take those shortcuts in any part of our life, we start to tell ourselves it's okay to take shortcuts. And you know what? If you want the life that you want to have, there ain't no shortcuts. Well, 
it's a good good thing to leave off on. And I will just say this because I really believe that when we do that, and you you don't do it wrong, and then you start to do it right, you're at, people are actually becoming something different. We become a different person. We add on to ourselves. You know, yeah, so so people need to know you're not alone. We all have shame. We all have error. And if you want to do a little exercise, write down what you least want to look about, what you want to look at in yourself. And just keep it somewhere that you look at sometimes. Right on. Okay. Well, this has been Overcome Out Loud with Charlie Smith. Our guest today, Dr. Paul Hirsch, a great friend of mine. And, and, uh, and we hope you go out and live your best life. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks, everybody. 